Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you here on this 7th of March, 2012. So once again, thank you for taking time to tune in this evening for tonight's broadcast. And tonight we have an interesting conversation lined up for you with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com, who's been a guest on this program before. So hopefully you have checked out EndTheLie.com for yourself and know that it is a, a great resource for all sorts of information, news, uh, all sorts of current events, things that are taking place around the world and at home. So it's great to have Madison Rupert back on the program tonight to go over all sorts of different stories, but I think quite a few stories right now in the world revolving around a, a similar theme, and basically broadly the theme of voting irregularities and vote fraud and all of the uh, the things surrounding that, We've seen that pop up uh, in quite a few different contexts recently, including some interestingly hypocritical uh, and kind of conflicting contexts from the so-called mainstream media, really the dinosaur-dying-out media. So it'll be my pleasure to go over that with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. And if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, any questions that you have, Madison is uh, obviously keeping his eye on pretty much everything out there, so you can phone in with your questions and comments, 1-800-313-9443. So, Madison Rupert, great to have you back on the program tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again, James. Well, as I mentioned before uh, in that introduction, there's a lot of uh, vote fraud and and voter irregularity stories floating around, and there are many different contexts in which that's happening. But one of the uh, contexts that I find interesting, of course, uh, related to the Super Tuesday festivities that we watched happen last night, what's your take on what, what went down yesterday in the primaries? Uh, well, I think most of what we saw was expected. Um, it, it, it's basically just a dog and pony show at this stage. Uh, the only person out there saying anything even uh, remotely different is Ron Paul, of course, and uh, the rest of the field is completely homogenous, and in my opinion, uh, some of the candidates are nothing short of a joke, uh, Santorum, being a, a phenomenal example. I mean, the things that come out of his mouth, it, it's like a, an over-the-top Saturday Night Live sketch making fun of a politician, uh, you know, a pseudo-social conservative politician. I mean, it's absolutely insane. But to go to the, the voter fraud thing, and uh, <clears throat> in Washington uh, a little while ago, 1,500 voters uh I should say it, it, the, the numbers ranged a little bit. One report said 800, another said 1,500, and it's interesting because it, it was the exact same source reporting the numbers, but they actually turned away a huge amount of people from a uh, tri-county caucus in Washington. And so essentially they said to these 1,500 people, uh, well, we weren't expecting you guys to come, so go home. You, you get no say in the matter. Um, and it gets even more ridiculous uh, when we start looking at the outright uh, voter fraud that can be committed through uh, electronic voting machines. Um, I, I know you read the article on End the Lie uh, about Bender, the, the Futurama cartoon character, uh, being elected to the 
Washington, D.C. school board in 2010. And for some reason, this is only coming out now as the uh, professor, uh, it, I believe it was the University of Michigan, I, I, actually I think that's wrong, but <laughs> um, the, uh, the professor released a, a paper on, on the hack attack uh, that was sanctioned by the school board. Um, and I, I assume we'll get back to this on the, the other side, James. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes, Bender Bending Rodriguez is now a member of the Washington, D.C. school board thanks to vote hackers. So once again, this is definitely something that's coming up more and more in our electronic society. Once again, you want to get in, 1-800-313-943. We'll be back with more Corbett Report Radio after these messages. Radio friends, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here, and tonight we're talking to Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. Once again, a great one-stop resource for all sorts of news that's breaking all around the world. And there in that first segment before the break, we were talking about a story that's up on EndTheLie.com right now. Hackers elect cartoon character to Washington, D.C. school board thanks to electronic voting. So I'm sure for many of the people out there who have been keeping their eyes on the electronic voting fraud that's been going on for over a decade now, I, I'm sure this comes as no surprise whatsoever, but just yet more proof that uh, the, the elections are, are hacked and, uh, and decided beforehand and can easily be hacked into by people even who don't have the connections of, uh, of actually owning the voting, uh, electronic voting companies. But that's a whole other issue of the, the story. So perhaps we can get a little bit more into this story and what it really reveals about electronic voting. Yes, and I think we should also touch on uh, some of the larger implications of this story as well. Um, it, it really didn't come up until later in the article, uh, but they actually supposedly detected an attack coming from the Persian Gulf University in Iran. So they, they slipped a little bit of uh, war on Iran propaganda into the article. And to top it all off, they, they completely defaced the, the whole system and made it very been hacked. And the uh, system administrators who supposedly uh, secured the system and were monitoring it uh, did not detect anything uh, for several days. I believe it was two days. So this just shows how insecure these systems are. And I think for clarity's sake, I should point out, uh, this wasn't a hack of a voting machine, which was done last year with $10 worth of parts. And uh, there's a video online of someone doing it with an iPhone and so forth. Uh, it, it wasn't actually a physical machine they hacked, but they actually uh, were hacking into a web-based voting system uh, so people didn't have to actually... Uh, go anywhere for, or, or mail in votes for absentee ballots. Um, and this is something that I could see being implemented on a wider scale um, in order to supposedly save costs, you know, save the burden on the post office and uh, encourage voter turnout and so forth. But it's also obviously much more vulnerable. And uh, it wasn't just the uh, voting system they were able to hack into. When they got access to that through a relatively rudimentary method. Um, they were actually able to hack into the surveillance camera system and observe the technicians to know when they should uh, carry out the, the most resource-intensive aspects of the attack without getting caught um, and so forth. So this was a, a pretty major hack 
And like the incident last year where it was shown uh, with $10 worth of parts in a very rudimentary understanding of electronics, basically anyone can hack into one of the Diebold uh, machines, and those are the actual physical machines. Um, and so this, this just shows that these systems are completely insecure no matter how you wrap it up. If you say it's going to be secure because it's housed on a server in a location with security cameras and technicians uh, watching the server activity and so forth, uh, we've shown that that is insecure. And the physical machines are not even secure. So uh, to me, I see no conclusion except get rid of all electronic voting completely. Uh, there is absolutely no need for it. It's just way too easy uh, to commit voter fraud. And during the break, we were talking about uh, the absurdity of the, the coverage of the Russian election, uh, one of the few countries that has actually attempted to put some safeguards in place uh, for voter fraud through uh, placing webcams in the voting booths and so forth. And, of course, uh, there, uh, Putin won, and they're saying that it, it, there was some malfeasance and some irregularities and so forth. But... I think you and I are well aware that's just because they don't like Putin. It's a preconceived notion. He, he will be illegitimately in power uh, indefinitely, even if every single Russian uh, publicly came out and said, yes, I, I like Putin, you know, and it was uh, about as ironclad as it could get. That, that still wouldn't be enough. Unfortunately so, and I believe I got the link from com, but there was a uh, Pepe Escobar editorial recently about uh, about basically why the West hates uh, Putin, and obviously he doesn't play ball or play politics with the, with the West. So, of course, we have seen this idea come up in the last few months, especially that all of these flash mobs and things that we're now hearing about in Russia, um, as opposed to really seeing unfold, but, but we're hearing a lot about it in the media, and obviously the implication is it's just another character on the uh, chessboard that they want to demonize right now. Yes, and I also read a uh, very interesting piece um, through uh, Stop NATO, which is run by uh, Rick Rosoff. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, people can go to this website. I highly recommend it. I get the daily email digest, and it really helps me keep up on uh, geopolitical rumblings and so forth. Um, it's Rick Rosoff. R-I-C-K-R-O-Z-O-F-F dot WordPress dot com. Um, and he's got an article up there about uh, how Russia is shifting their approach a little bit more uh, towards China um, and away, away from Europe, away from trying to uh, get their ties stronger with, with Europe and uh, increase uh, trade and, and interoperability and so forth, uh, I think they're uh, pretty disillusioned by the uh, European uh, acceptance of the anti-ballistic missile system, which is a arguably an offensive missile system encircling Russia. Um, so they're they're uh, clearly not happy with what's going on, and they're they're making moves to uh, oppose it. Um, but obviously, uh, Russia is a Russia and China are a counterbalance in the. United Nations Security Council, and the United States really does not like that. They do not like being rebuffed constantly on Syria. They do not like the threats coming from Russia regarding Syria, um, especially today when the, the door was left open once again for military intervention uh, in Syria. Um, 
in uh, congressional testimony, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, it was to the, the Senate Armed Service Committee, um, and it was uh, Panetta, of course. Um, you know, they, they don't like any opposition. We've seen that over and over and over. Anyone who speaks out against the West gets, gets marked for death uh, pretty soon. Obviously, the most recent examples are Ahmadinejad and Gaddafi, both of which gave uh, pretty vitriolic uh, denouncements of the West in, uh, in the United Nations General Assembly, um, one of which, uh, in Ahmadinejad's case, resulted in a massive walkout just because he simply questioned uh, 9-11. Uh, he, he didn't even pose any conspiracy theories and so forth, and it was denounced as anti-Semitic, of course, even though there was not even one remotely anti-Semitic comment in the entire speech. I, I thoroughly read it and analyzed it and posted about it when it happened. Um, but these people can just do nothing right. It, it really does not matter what they do uh, in, in the eyes of the Western media, which gives most of the information still, unfortunately, or a great deal of it to many Americans, and that is how they form their reality through this mainstream uh, media engineered narrative. Um, they, they will not ever uh, highlight anything positive that these people are doing. So if I was Putin or Ahmadinejad or any of these people, um, I would be uh, encouraged to go out and do things right constantly in order to just show how absurdly biased the Western media is. Well, that I mean, that's true to a certain extent, and I, I, I do understand the way that this is happening, but I also fear that there's sort of a dialectic at work here but whereby we can get uh, people who are obviously opposed to what NATO is doing and the encirclement and the craziness of all the, uh, the NATO wars of aggression that are going along. People who are opposed to that can find themselves sort of by default getting shifted to the side of, of, of Putin or uh, or uh, President uh, Xi, uh, the coming president of China, or whoever, um, because they they are opposing that. But it, it uh, at the same time, I mean, let's not be let's not have rose-colored glasses about who Putin is and his background and how he got into power and and all of the uh, the shadiness about him. Uh, I think we also have to be aware that uh, that this is part of a dialectic whereby they want us basically fighting one against a, one side against another instead of seeing that there is a third way that doesn't involve any of this militarism. And on that regard, of course, we saw uh, Putin coming out last year using about the Eurasian Union that he wants to put up as his kind of security power block to, to oppose NATO. So uh, I think there's the tendency for this to just get lumped into one uh, sort of an either-or, left-right type uh, political parade. I think that's a phenomenal point, and I applaud you for pointing that out because that is a huge problem when talking about these things, is uh, the conflation. Um, if you question the, the rebels in Libya during the uprising, suddenly you were a supporter of Gaddafi even when he was uh, conducting renditions for the United States. Um, if you uh, question the activities of the Free Syrian Army in Syria, Somehow now you worship Bashar al-Assad. Um, it just makes absolutely no sense, and we do have to make it clear this is not a black and white scenario. Um, there is a third way, and no no countries that I know of right now are uh, forging down that path. Uh, your example of the Eurasian Union is a great one. Uh, Putin has actually called for a new world order as well. 
um, or a new, new world order, and Ahmadinejad as well. All these people, I think, are uh, taking the wrong approach. And like you said, there is a third way uh, outside of all of this militarism, outside of uh, violent coercion, um, and uh, outside of this closed uh, society, uh, behind closed doors, uh, machinations of uh, geopolitics and so forth. So you're very right. Not black or white, but gray. Unfortunately, yes. I mean, the world is more complicated than uh, than a, a lot of the headlines would lead us to believe, obviously, and we have to get through all the layers of the onion before we start to understand what's really going on. So on that note, we'll leave it there, but we will come back in just a couple of minutes with more with Madison Rupert of AndTheLie.com. Okay, we're back, folks, here on Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. And, Madison, before before the break, we were talking, we kind of transitioned off into global geopolitics, but we have been talking about vote fraud and e-voting and all of that, and I, I think we should uh, return to that to flesh that out just a little bit more before we move on, because I, I think you made a very important point that really there's no justification for electronic voting in this day and age other than, I mean, the only possible excuse for implementing these systems that I could possibly think of is, oh, well, we need we need the results right away so we can report them, you know, that night. Therefore, this is slightly faster than a hand count or, or whatever the uh, reasoning might go. But, of course, that's just laughable on its face as an assertion of why why we need this entire voting system. And, uh, and I mean, there's no one that you talk to when you talk about electronic voting that says, yes, it's great, I love it, I have no reservations whatsoever about this electronic vote tabulation. I mean, nobody is behind this. So uh, this strikes me as one of the most in-your-face examples of the way that uh, the people, I mean, truly have no say whatsoever over their government, not only insofar as they don't actually get to elect anyone because the votes are rigged, but because they can't even get the uh, the type of voting that would ensure that it would be more difficult to rig. Yes, and it's just yet another example in the United States of uh, corporations and corporate interests being put above the people. So long as there are uh, corporations reaping massive amounts of profits off of these uh, types of machines and systems, uh, the, the people will be ignored. Um, and I think that's, that's really sad, and it's really telling because, I mean, you're completely right. I've never talked to a, a single person here in the United States who said, well, you know, I love these electronic voting machines. Why aren't they used more? Or, you know, uh, uh, how did we ever survive without them? Um, the, the justification is, is really uh, thin. And when it comes to all of these massive security uh, breaches uh, that keep happening, I mean, you just pile them on top of each other, um, it, it makes you think, why? Why would anyone uh, think this is a good idea? But it's very obvious that the people who are making the, the decisions aren't doing it because... Uh, uh, they think it, it is a good idea or that it will make anything more efficient, but because they know uh, they will be reimbursed for their efforts. Um, and obviously, uh, there is a very powerful 
lobby for these types of devices that has a lot of connections on Capitol Hill, or else uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have such a system. I think uh, that much in itself is is quite obvious to most Americans who are paying attention nowadays. Absolutely, and I guess what's funniest, obviously not in a ha-ha sense, but what's funniest about all of this is that, uh, like so many of the other aspects of this globalist New World Order agenda, it was implemented with a false flag of sorts with the 2000 presidential election and the infamous hanging chads, which of course kept us all riveted to our televisions in the uh, the end of 2000, beginning of 2001, who will become president of the United States. And of course it was all because of these hanging chads, this, this horrible system they had used in Florida, which necessarily... Uh, Necessitated the changing of laws to make these uh, electronic voting machines not only uh, 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 more attractive, but in fact part of the the actual legal voting process. Yeah, and the whole hanging Chad uh, fiasco was completely laughable. I mean, uh, why fix something by completely overhauling? I mean, it's like if your car broke down, you wouldn't go out and buy a, uh, a helicopter. Um, you know, it just makes absolutely no sense. You fix the car and then uh, keep using the car because the car works. <laughs> you know, you can get around town. Um, and it's the exact same with the hanging chads. I mean, they could just remove that imbecilic system. Whoever came up with it, I mean, I have no idea what was going through their head at the time. You know, maybe they had a few too many uh, the night before work and they were completely hung over and just, uh, uh, you know, created it out of nowhere. Or uh, I think a more likely possibility, uh, like you said, it was uh, a type of false flag operation where they were intentionally made confusing, especially in a state like Florida, where there is a, uh, a large uh, senior citizen population, um, and they're you know easily uh, thrown off by such things. Um, I think it's it's pretty obvious that it could have been done in an effort to get these machines pushed through, uh, because we see whenever this type of technology. Um, not, I, I don't mean electronic voting machines, but I mean literally any kind of uh, technology that the government picks up to replace something else and then uh, disseminates on a massive scale across the United States. Another great example would be the naked body scanners. Um, they're almost always preceded by some kind of event that has uh, very questionable aspects to it. Of course, in the case of the body scanners, it was uh, the underwear bomber. In the case of electronic voting machines, it was the hanging chad uh, fiasco. Unfortunately, right, but I'm sure those senior citizens in Florida are much more comfortable using electronic voting because we know seniors and, and electronics go, go so well together. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, my grandpa's on his iPhone all day long playing <laughs> video games and, uh, you know, on his Xbox playing Call of Duty. Um, no, but... It, it, it's just completely ridiculous, uh, especially because uh, the the researcher here, I want to uh, go to this article really quick. Um, he said uh, that there needs to be a massive leap in computer security for electronic voting to be viable. Um, and we're talking about like an exponential leap here. So this won't be viable for perhaps a decade. Exactly right, and it's always the question of who's controlling the programming itself, and we already know that of, from insiders and whistleblowers that these companies are owned by people with political connections, so it just goes on and on. And on that note, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Uh, it's funny because Jimmy Carter. And it's funny because people actually did believe that back in the 70s, perhaps, after Nixon Ford uh, debacle. Maybe they truly believed Jimmy Carter could bring accountability back to government. Ha, ha, ha. And as we sit here today in 2012 with Jimmy Carter II in the White House and uh, the failed presidency, uh, well, failed, I guess, is the wrong word, because, of course, that implies that they're trying to they're trying their best to help out the average man and woman in the U.S. that just for some reason they never quite get things done. And, of course, that's the uh, the lie of what government is there to do and what they're supposedly uh, doing for you at all times. And, of course, we know that to be a fraud, almost as big as the voting fraud that we've been talking about tonight on the program. And, Madison, I'd like to move on to some other subjects. But just before we get off this e-voting uh, topic, it does raise the question of what is the positive solution to this uh, if there is one to be had? I mean, given that people can't even vote in the political puppets who supposedly have some sort of say over way, the way things are run, although we know that, uh, that of course, it goes higher up the food chain, so to speak, to the banksters who puppeteer the political puppets. But given that we can't even elect the puppets fair and square, I mean, what, 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 it, what situation is the average American left in? Uh, it's one where it, it might be very overwhelming, and it might be even a little bit depressing to some people because... Uh, uh, as you said, there, there, it seems like there is very little we can do. But thankfully, uh, the power isn't totally centralized yet. It's almost there. Uh, but we can act on the local level still to some extent. Um, but they're even cracking down on that in some areas where uh, people will get dragged out of uh, town hall meetings and so forth. I'm sure you've seen some of the videos on YouTube. Uh, but if people start really getting active in uh, building coalitions of, of people at, at local levels and the county and the state level, I think we can start uh, making a really big difference. But voting voting for president is not, I mean, it's not going to make a difference. I think we saw that with the Barack Obama presidency, where apparently now uh, secret, uh, secret tribunals carried on in a smoky room somewhere by the uh, uh, national security uh, apparatus uh, counts as due process uh, for the assassination of Americans. So uh, I, I think it's become obvious that uh, most politicians are not trustworthy. So instead of relying on a politician to uh, go out and do something, I, I recommend people go out and do it themselves. I agree completely. I think we get too caught up in these political sideshows that are meant to make people feel that they have some sort of uh, choice in what's going on, but it takes away from the people the real choices that they make on a real everyday, every base, everyday basis of what what companies they choose to give their money to, etc., which really does affect um, how things how things run. Um, but let's let's transition into some other topics. An absolutely fascinating story that's up on Envelie.com right now: preventing protest. G8 summit moved from Chicago to Camp David. Madison, break this down for us. Well, this is fascinating. Um, there is a four-day period, four or five-day period uh, in May where there was going to be a G8 summit, the group of eight, and uh, NATO summit, back-to-back -back NATO and uh, the ISAF, the International Security Assistance Force, I believe it is, um, and obviously that was going to draw a huge amount of protest, uh, and rightly so. Um, and, I mean, it was something that a lot of people were looking forward to, uh, traveling from around the country to uh, attend this and, and uh, show their opposition to this kind of uh, 
regime that we're being forced uh, forced to uh, be subservient to on a on a global scale. Um, but of course, now it is going to be absolutely impossible, or uh, almost uh, effectively impossible, to uh, protest the G8 because it will be held at the presidential retreat, Camp David. And thanks to the trespass bill, which is just waiting on the president's signature now, um, uh, it, it will uh, be a major crime to be anywhere near the area during these events. And it might actually be uh, a crime to protest the NATO summit as well. Um, th that legislation, which I believe has yet to be signed, um, I need to actually go on the, the whitehouse.gov website and, and check on the status of that again because obviously this is something that is not covered in the mainstream media at all. The NDAA got a little bit of coverage, but it was only to say, you crazy conspiracy theorists, uh, the text doesn't mean what it says. It'll never be used against American citizens. Um, but in the case of the uh, so-called trespass bill, I haven't seen any coverage of it. Or if there was coverage, it would probably be, hey, look how great this is. Uh, it's it's the uh, uh, they're they're going to improve the lawns on on public buildings um, because of course you know it's done under a, a completely different uh, impression. And in this case, it was uh, keeping federal buildings looking nice. Um, and now that prevents you from being in a place where a dignitary or a, someone being um, protected by the Secret Service is, even if you're uh, unknowing that, that something is going on there. So if you're in a building now and uh, Newt Gingrich with, with his uh, Secret Service entourage that uh, he reportedly will have uh, following him around now, um, and he walks into the building, you could get arrested um, and uh, potentially go to prison for a very long time. But I, I headlined it preventing protests because uh, Camp David has some of the tightest security of uh, any location, uh, you know, of course, uh, probably uh, right after the, the White House, the Pentagon, and maybe then Camp David. Uh, sometime last year, I believe it was, a uh, an individual in a private plane accidentally flew over Camp David and his uh, radio was malfunctioning, so he didn't hear the commands from uh, NORAD, and they were able to intercept him and uh, force him to land in, I believe it was less than 10 minutes, which I think just, uh, you know, harkens back to the absurdity of the whole flight path situation on 9-11 and the fact that they couldn't get them while they are in the air for that long, yet even fly anywhere in, in the remote vicinity of Camp David, uh, you're going down and fast. Um, so I, I think you'd have to be very, very brave indeed to go to Camp David to protest the G8, given uh, the National Defense Authorization Act uh, for fiscal year 2012 and the indefinite detention provisions, uh, the trespass bill, um, the, the Patriot Act and so forth, just being in the general vicinity might get you la labeled a, a possible terrorist. After all, uh, in, in the past, the, the Department of Defense, or, you know, reportedly in the past, they, they reportedly changed their policy, but in the past on their exams, uh, there was a question that said, which of the following is an act of low-level terrorism? And the correct answer was protesting. So, um, it's just very clear that they don't want people, uh, they don't want the big show that, that has uh, come to be associated with the various 
uh, meetings of the G8 and the G20 and so forth, where it's just, uh, you know, it, people chanting this is what a police state looks like are 100% on the mark in those situations. And I think it's just bad publicity. First of all, we already have the laws in place, but, you know, they don't want this uh, this public show that even gets on the, the mainstream media of these cops in full body armor, uh, beating, you know, young people over the head with, with uh, batons for absolutely no reason. Um, so I think it was uh, a dual purposes to uh, prevent people from being able to exercise their right to free speech and free assembly, and secondly, to prevent the bad publicity that inevitably comes from the crackdown on peaceful protest. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the aspect of this story that I find surprising. And on an interesting side note, while I'm thinking of it, on the 9-11 uh, take, it was interesting that Flight 93 was originally reported to have gone down in Camp David. And uh, then they they retracted that story, obviously, but uh, but that was part of the uh, the initial reporting that people can even see still. It's up on YouTube. But, um, but a- absolutely, what I think is interesting about this story is that this is... What genuinely surprises me is that this is something that you would expect them to do if they were actually concerned about avoiding protests that would get out of control and that would have all these police state measures and things, which which uh, it has been my impression that this is something that they've actually wanted to encourage, at least for the last few years, as we see the uh, the police state rollout with all their fancy new LRADs and all their technology for, for handling dissent. Um, it seems like there's been a big PR campaign for the police state, but with all of these big conferences that we saw, like, for example, in the G8 in, was it Pittsburgh the other year, or the G8 in Toronto, of course, back in 2010. And, uh, and there's been this tendency in recent years in North America, at any rate, to hold these huge conferences, which are, of course, going to attract major protests in these urban centers where there's going to be con- all sorts of confrontation between the protesters and the uh, and the police and i thought that was kind of part of the pr for the police state that they've been rolling out so to my mind moving it to camp david where there is really no possibility for that actually i mean in one sense kind of makes sense if they want to actually avoid that type of confrontation Yes, well, I, I think you have a, a great point, and yes, th- there was a, a, a PR campaign for the police state in that it was trying to dissuade people from even protesting at all, because a lot of people, when they watch someone uh, getting shot in the face with a, a, a tear gas canister or, you know, brutally assaulted by police while they're cowering, you know, curled up in a ball in the middle of the street, um, to a lot of people, that uh, makes them not want to go out and protest at all. So I think there is that factor, but there is also uh, the fact that we have to consider the incredibly negative PR that came from Occupy Wall Street, um, especially the fact that it came out that most of the crackdowns were coordinated through uh, Department of Homeland Security and other federal agencies. So I think they're wanting to just... Uh, scale back these these public displays as much as possible in order to make uh, us feel like uh, you know everything is okay. Lull us into this this false sense of security. Meanwhile, uh, you know FEMA just uh, contracted out these um, more first responder camps. You know, in in quotes, of course, uh, which are intended for long term residents, as evidenced by the fact that they're actually. Uh, contracting, building, um, uh, like, uh, recreational centers, um, 
uh, in in these camps. And uh, the two, I, I read most of the uh, the actual uh, solicitation, and it gives two possible scenarios for for contractors to outline. Um, and both of them uh, place the camps on Air Force bases. So I think they're they're trying they're doing this stuff behind the scenes, rolling out the TSA onto the streets and so forth. Um, but it, I, I think they're trying to avoid that that little bit of uh, negative publicity, especially because they're uh, condemning uh, people around the world for cracking down on domestic protests and calling for leaders to step down and so forth. Um, and I mean, it, it makes absolutely no sense for them to be doing the exact same thing at home. But you know, I'm, I'm torn because in the past they haven't cared at all. They haven't cared about putting out this this complete devil think where they're saying, "Oh, look what you're doing over there. You need to step down. You need regime change, and so forth." And then they're doing the same thing here at home, and it's good. It's keeping us safe. So, like you, I mean, I'm I, I really don't know what to make of this in. I'd like to point out that this is coming up more and more, uh, where where things are happening that just don't quite fit into uh, the the picture as well as as events normally do. A great example would be the mainstream media covering uh, U.S. officials exposing the fact that Israel actually was training the assassins and running assassination operations in Iran, and NBC News covered this. I mean, I was just dumbfounded. Um, so I, I think uh, we're, we're going to see some some uh, big changes coming up uh, this year, um, and it, it will be interesting to see where this goes. Um, but I, I think we're still going to see a massive police state rollout for, for the uh, NATO uh, ISAF uh, conference. So that, that factor, the intimidation factor, the... Hey, look! You you have no rights. Um, we're gonna we're gonna come and beat you over the head with a stick. Uh, kind of impression is still there. Well, that's right. Yes, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the NATO conference is still going to take place and still going to draw protests, and they're still going to have the SWAT teams and everything ready. And uh, and we've seen already some of the preparations for that being uh, being widely trumpeted in the you know Chicago Tribune and other mainstream papers, just to let uh, everyone know, hey, your slave masters are still running you. So certainly, we will still see that. It's just interesting to see that the G8 has moved to Camp David, as we've uh, been talking about here. And uh, you know, in one sense, I. I uh, when I step back and I try to look at this from the perspective of the uh, the psychotic uh, f- freaks of nature who are, are puppeteering this system, and I try to think what would be an effective strategy for them, what would they do if they wanted to, to truly control the society? And it's always struck me it would be a million times more effective to do this step-by-step in tiny little steps instead of just putting the police state right there, right out in front of everyone, as happens every single time there is a conference like this. So, um, so in some sense, it, it might maybe even more worrying when they start uh, backing off a little and, and doing things more quietly behind the scenes. Because as you note, with the TSA, for example, now gradually, quietly being introduced, oh, yes, they're on the highways, yes, they're coming to bus and train stations near you, that's very effective because the average person will not see the problem until it's way too late. So, uh, so I wonder if there, there might be a, a sort of meta-level strategy going on here. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and I I see the move uh, a little bit like uh, the Bilderberg conference. I I brought that up. They they moved to a remote location. 
Um, and I, I think I read a, a few mainstream media reports, which also uh, actually brought up the, the Bilderberg factor that they're, you know, taking a page out of the Bilderberg book by uh, moving to such a remote location, which is much more easily secured and not many people can travel there and, and protest and, and so forth. Um, but, but like you said, it's, it's all about incrementalism. Um, I, I think uh, they... The, the brutality of the crackdown that would inevitably ensue on both conferences, or during both conferences, I should say, um, it would just look really bad when you combine it with everything else that is going on, and it would totally delegitimize the United States if such a thing is possible, if there is any legitimacy left. Um, so I think they're, they're trying to, to scale it back a little bit so then they can keep rolling it out at this slower pace um, I think they're, they're seeing the alarm in the United States amongst people who are very concerned about the National Defense Authorization Act and the states that are actually taking steps against the NDAA. Um, and so they're saying, you know, well, maybe we should slow down this rollout a, a little bit um, before we, uh, you know, open up the camps, as they say. Well, that's that's the uh, the end game that we've all got our our eyes on in the long term. But again, it's the strategy of how how they're trying to get us there. So, on that note, I guess uh, we'll take a short break and we'll co- be back to finish up tonight's conversation. Once again, talking to Madison Rupert and TheLie.com, a valuable resource out there. I hope you are checking it on a daily basis for all the latest news and information. And we'll be right back after this. program friends here on corporate report radio once again thank you for joining us tonight i am james corbett of corporatereport.com and tonight we've been talking to madison rupert of endalye.com so madison just in the final few minutes here i've been directing the conversation so far but other uh, stories or topics that are on your mind that you'd like to talk about tonight well uh something interesting uh i i just discovered um a, a very little-known branch of the Air Force, AFNOC, the Air Force Network Operations Center, um, and specifically the 754th Electronic Systems Group. Now, these are two uh, entities that I had never heard of before. Um, I discovered someone at, apparently at Vandenberg Air Force Base here in California which apparently doesn't actually house any AFNOC units or um, the 754th Electronic Systems Group, but somehow his IP is on Vandenberg, has actually been uh, commenting on my site um, hundreds of times. I mean, I I just looked through uh, the comments for this IP, and, I mean, they go back forever. And I I just wonder why... the, the. Someone on the air in the Air Force is on an Air Force network at a base that supposedly doesn't have a unit yet. It's marked uh, the IP is marked as that unit, the AFNOC.AF.mil, um, and leaving these comments seemingly 100% in support of of the the content. So maybe this is just an individual on an Air Force network. Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking, but 
I just found that very strange. And if anyone uh, knows anything about this unit or uh, any of this type of stuff, I'd really appreciate an email uh, at admin at endthelie.com um, or uh, just leave a comment somewhere. Um, I'd really appreciate uh, some insight on this. But if I could actually bring us all the way back to uh, what we were talking about in the very beginning uh, with your point about the dialectic of uh, it's either black or white. You either uh, are supporting someone or you want them out of power and in a ditch somewhere getting sodomized by a rebel. Um, so a great example of this is the push, uh, this viral campaign to arrest Joseph Coney. I think that's how you pronounce the name, K-O-N-Y, um, through the group Invisible Children. Um, and Invisible Children actually uh, is a very, very questionable charity. They have no independent auditing of their books. They spent over $1 million in one year uh, on travel expenses and so forth. Only 31% of uh, their income, which was it's in the multi-millions, actually goes to children in Uganda, which is, you know, supposedly what they do. And now they've started this huge push through this absurdly manipulative documentary, uh, and I, I say that almost facetiously because it, it really doesn't document very much except just egregiously pulling on your heartstrings. I mean, it's like the most heavy-handed stuff I've ever seen um, to get international support to uh, pull this guy uh, out of power. And uh, Richard Cottrell, a, a former member of European Parliament, um, uh, last year, a while ago, uh, wrote an article exposing uh, how the United States is playing both sides in Africa and especially in Uganda um, with this uh, Joseph Kony character. Um, and that article actually uh, went viral out of nowhere today and has been getting a lot of attention because of this, uh, this documentary. Again, I say that um, almost jokingly. Um, emerged and is getting so much attention on Facebook and, and Twitter and elsewhere, Reddit and so forth, and everyone who uh, comments questioning the motives, because this pops up right as uh, it was found that Uganda has even more rich natural resources than people thought previously, and they already had a, a fair amount. Um, the, the timing is questionable, the target is questionable, uh, the, the effect of uh, foreign military going into a place to keep people safe. I mean, the whole thing is questionable, but they say you support a murderer if you question it. So we just got to stop that dialectic. Well, you and I are on the exact same point. In fact, I just recorded The New World next week, my weekly video series with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, and I made the exact same point about this Coney story. Once again, if you don't support the, this charity, then you must support him. And again, it's the way they, they lock people into that dialectic matrix. But on that note, we're going to have to leave it there. We're completely out of time. Once again, Madison Rupert, Endelie.com. Thank, thank you again for your input. Thank you, James. All right, we'll leave it there for tonight. Once again, please go to andalai.com for more information on a daily basis. And on that note, I'll talk to, talk to all of you tomorrow night.